powered by Clear Vision Development Group. This is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. I'm Tony Richards, and this is the Better Than Before show, proud to broadcast on the C-Suite Radio Network. Today on the program, my special guest will be Richard Newman, who's going to educate us on the subject of body talk in communications. Going to be a great conversation. Richard's awesome, and I'm really excited that he's made time to be on the show with us here today. And I'm going to focus on three big ideas for you coming up today on Better Than Before, sponsored by University Subaru. University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. Back with Richard Newman right after this. There's nothing quite like the love of a good dog. At University Subaru, it seems to us they're all good. See special pet-friendly features in the new 2021 Subaru Outback and Forester. It's never been easier to hit the open road with your best friend and to keep them safe with Subaru all-wheel drive. Subaru is dog-tested and dog-approved. Love, it's what makes a Subaru a Subaru and a dog a dog. University Subaru, Columbia, homegrown and proud of it. Are you working twice as hard but enjoying fewer rewards? Maybe you're highly accomplished, but you just can't seem to break through and make the next big move. Or you run a business that has begun to grow stagnant. It doesn't have to stay that way. Even the best leaders have felt as if their careers were spiraling out of control. But that's when they had to lead and lead big. Tony Richards' new book, The Big Idea, 52 Ways to Be a Better Leader Now, will help launch you forward in leadership. Learn how to take charge and lead yourself, lead others, and lead your company. Purchase online today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back, everyone, to Better Than Before. This is Tony Richard, and today I've got Richard Newman on the line with us. He's the founder and CEO of Body Talk, global leaders in evidence-based communication training. Since 2000, Richard and his team have trained 100,000 people worldwide with clients from 46 countries. And in this new communications world we live in, especially since the COVID pandemic, There's more ways to communicate than ever before, but finding true connection and engagement still eludes a whole lot of us. Without the ability to effectively engage an audience and inspire action, new ideas struggle to be implemented, adding frustration and failure to the workplace, as if we needed any more of that, right? Richard transforms that failure into success, helping one client gain over $1 billion in new business and winning 100% of the pitches he coached them on by applying breakthrough strategies he teaches. And he's going to tell us a little bit about that today. He started his communication journey by living in a Tibetan monastery in India for six months, teaching English to monks. Body language and voice skills suddenly became absolutely essential to Richard's work. 
as the monks spoke no English when he arrived, so they had to communicate in nonverbal ways. When he returned to the UK, Richard continued to study advanced communication skills while working as an actor on stage and screen. And in 2000, he combined that passion for communication with his love of storytelling when he founded his current company. Over the next 21 years, Richard and his team have developed new science-backed coaching methods designed to create real and practical results. His breakthrough research on communication has been published in the Journal of Psychology, and his clients include CEOs, VPs, and leadership teams across many industries, including Virgin, Expedia, NYU, Microsoft, and 3M. And Richard has documented all this in his best-selling book, You Were Born to Speak, which came out at number one on Amazon for both Kindle and hardback. And in 2014, he was the recipient of the Cicero Grand Award, the most coveted prize in the world for speech writing. And of course, the audience knows what I do, so you can imagine how curious I am about some of the things here that Richard's going to tell us and teach us. So without further ado, I'm proud and honored to welcome Richard Newman to the show. Thank you, Tony. Great to be on the show, and thank you for the introduction. Yeah, you bet. And you're coming to us from London, is that right? That's right. Yeah, I'm just outside London on a fairly mild, wintry, grey day at the moment. Do you prefer England, UK, United Kingdom, Great Britain? Which one do you prefer? Well, that's a really good question. That's one we've been asking ourselves a lot since the pandemic began, <laughs> because it, like it, it was very much a United Kingdom. I guess it still is. But we've all gone our different ways, like England, Wales, Scotland, making different decisions over the last couple of years. So I guess I'm very firmly in England at the moment. All right. Well, I'm just curious. We have U.S., the United States, America, a lot of different names, too. So just kind of curious. I want to jump right in here because storytelling has become the latest management buzzword, uh, especially for high level executives who have to communicate a lot to boards and shareholders and stakeholders. And so tell me a little bit about what the basics are of storytelling and what are we doing wrong? Great question. So storytelling is something that, that I've noticed a lot of people are now aware of in business, that this is something that is critical for them to use, but it is very rare to see anybody who is doing this well. So let's take a look back about why storytelling is so important. So let's think back many thousands of years before PowerPoint, before we had spreadsheets and documents that we'd give to people. As a tribe, we wanted to survive. And if we learned vital life lessons about how to avoid being eaten by a saber-toothed tiger, and we wanted to pass that on to our children and our tribe and future generations, we had to do so in a way that was going to be captivating and highly memorable. It could be passed on from one person to the next. And so we developed a way of telling stories that would captivate people, give them an emotional engagement, give them all the logical information they would need and do so in a way that could be repeated again and again. And so you can take a look at the research on this, which was sort of large. I think the most important book to look at is really Joseph Campbell's work, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, where he looked at the way we've been telling stories for thousands of years through different civilizations that had no contact with each other. And he found that if you go back to the story of Gilgamesh, which is the earliest story we have any record of, it was chipped into stone tablets. The amazing thing is that it has the same structure that was used 
thousands of years later by Shakespeare. It was also used by the ancient Greeks, but we didn't discover the story of Gilgamesh until after Shakespeare had died. And so what it tells us is there is a way that human beings love to receive information that they will be captivated by no matter their culture and their background. And so if you use that in business, then you can roll out a new project. You can transform the way your business operates, speak to your team, describe your business to clients and win more business, all by really understanding how this works. Now, here's the challenge. A lot of people think they're doing storytelling, but they're not. So when leaders talk about this, I heard this at a conference I went to a couple of years ago. The facilitator of the event said, we know that storytelling is important. And they had a panel there and they said, do all of you do storytelling? And they all said, yes, yes, we do. We do storytelling. And they said, well, how do you do it? And so one of them said, well, what I do is in a team meeting, I like to tell my team what I did over the weekend and just tell them a story. And that's not storytelling for business. That's just talking about your weekend. Somebody else said, well, here's what I do. I tell people about this and then this and then this and then therefore the conclusion. And again, that's not storytelling. That's just linear narrative. So People need to, first of all, put down what they think is storytelling because it really isn't. And we've got to be aware of the fact that storytelling is critically important. We need to run business based on data. We've got to have the fine analysis and insights. And those are the sorts of people that my team tend to work with is people who are really looking into the data and the complexity of how businesses run. But we also need to respect the human brain. Lots of people go into a meeting and they will bore their audience very quickly because they're just giving them logic, 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 and therefore conclusion. And that's not what the human brain wants. The brain wants to be engaged in three major areas, which is the survival brain, the emotional brain, and the logical brain. And we need to involve people and engage them in that order because that's the order that the human brain will respond to any given situation. And so this is not something that is wishy-washy, fluffy, or a fad. It has been there since the beginning of human beings trying to survive. And if people get this right, then you can transform your influence as a leader. You can win more business. You can inspire your team. But it's by engaging people from that point of view of emotion and logic at the same time. I've got a question for you, and it's something that I do a lot. How does analogy fit in? I use a lot of analogies, and I don't know if that's right or wrong. Yeah, I think analogies can be really powerful. We talk about this actually within storytelling, where if someone's really struggling with a concept, then there's two paths you could go down. You could keep on explaining it, bashing them over the head of it, which, which is a bit like when somebody goes overseas, doesn't speak the language, and just tries speaking slower and louder, hoping that someone is going to get there. Instead, you can use an analogy, which is a great tool to use, Tony. And we talk about this, making your concept tangible. So essentially, you've got a concept you want to share with people. They already understand a whole bunch of things, and you need to build a bridge between your new concept and what they already understand. And the analogy is that bridge. It's a way of saying, okay, maybe you don't understand this, but you might understand that. So I'll give you an example of a really good use of analogies in storytelling. There was a story, and this is quite timely actually, because we've got the movie coming out recently on Netflix called Don't Look Up, which lots of people are talking about, this meteor coming towards Earth. So a few years back, there was a situation where a meteor nearly hit Earth, but didn't. And so there was an interview on BBC Radio 4 where a scientist came on and the interviewer said, look, I don't really see why we're even talking about this. I mean, surely meteors miss the earth all the time. What's the point? So he used an analogy and he said, okay, have you ever seen a tennis court? 
And the interviewer said, sure. And he said, I want you to imagine that you're standing on a tennis court and you're playing a game of tennis. Now you represent the earth. The tennis court represents our solar system. And then imagine a meteor the size of a tennis ball went past your head less than a palm's width away at a thousand miles per hour. That's how close the human race was to annihilation before breakfast this morning. Mm. And suddenly this little segment that was going to be like a 30 second clip on the news turned into an hour long phone in of people panicking about what is really happening with these meteors. So analogies can be super powerful. I'm going to check that out. Thank you for that on Netflix. One thing that I, you know, I just want to ask for my own thing, but if I have like, let's say three groups back to back and I have to have the same meeting, one or mm. two of those people are going to be in all three meetings, right? But the majority isn't. One mm. of the things I'll do is I'll change my analogies mm. in the meetings. And so one lady who was in all three meetings, she goes, oh, wow, you've got a thousand stories. And I walked away from that thinking the story was the same. The analogy is what I changed. Yes. Right. right? The entire meeting was the story. Yeah. Um, so I was just curious if the analogy was taking away from my story or if it was enhancing it, because that was what she focused on. Yeah. And, and, and that's a good question to create a distinction there between stories and analogy, because you're right to say that the entire let's imagine you're going into those meetings. The entire meeting is where you have that story. It is a journey. So you can imagine this where if someone's watching a movie start to finish, that's the story. Right. So it takes us on this complete arc. But within that, you might see a scene where the technical boffin is trying to explain something to a decision maker and they create an analogy and it's in there. And that analogy, you're right to do it. You could change that analogy for every team that you speak to in your company based on what kind of analogy are they going to like? So if it's sports people who like tennis, you can use the one I just mentioned. If you know, actually, these guys are really into basketball or these guys are really into cooking or whatever it is, you choose an analogy that works for them. But the story, the arc, the journey that you go on, the framework of that stays the same because human beings need that framework to be right. It has to take us from pain across to pleasure. There needs to be challenges that we face and a journey that happens in order for us to get there. And the analogies that happen in between, the various elements that we use, use of imagery, building in curiosity, those things can change, but the arc needs to stay the same. I had intended to read your book before we talked today. I, I didn't get to do that, but I am going to. And I'm sure the whole story's in there. But tell us a little bit about when you lived in Tibet with the monks. I mean, it's just fascinating to me. Sure. Yeah. I mean, th this is such a pivotal moment for me in my life. So uh, just imagine this. I was 17, just coming up to 18 years old. And I really wanted to go out into the world and do something good, do something of value before I went off to further education. And I came across this opportunity to go and live with monks. And it was actually Tibetan monks who were in exile in, in India, but in this Tibetan monastery up in the foothills of the Himalayas, and they wanted to learn English. And I thought, this sounds amazing. I really want to go and help them. And they needed to learn English so that they could connect with the local community and get sponsorship so that they could continue to survive. And so I said, great, sign me up. Now, what I didn't realize is that nobody from this organization had ever been there to this monastery to help them out, to teach them. What I also didn't realize is that they didn't speak any English. So when I got there, I was trying to speak to them in English and find out where I was going to sleep and figure out, well, what time are we going to have a lesson and get started? But they didn't speak English. They spoke Tibetan, Nepali, and Hindi. 
And so I had to use body language and tone of voice just to figure out how to connect with them to figure out, was I in the right place? What time would we get together? And we then ended up doing lessons. They would go out to do prayers in the town during the day. And around 6 p.m., they'd come back and we'd do a lesson in their kitchen. And because of the area we were in, it was very unreliable power connection. So most of the time we did it through a power cut. We're using candles. And I was there just using my body language and tone of voice, trying to describe to them new words. And what I learned from it, the huge power it gave me, the two biggest lessons I gained from this experience was firstly, the importance of congruency and communication. And this is something that I see lacking in businesses worldwide that we work with. So imagine this, if I'm trying to explain to them the word excited, if I don't look excited and I don't sound excited, they're never going to understand what that word means. I could be saying pineapple. They wouldn't know. And so I had to make sure my body language, voice, and words were all expressing the same thing for them to resonate with that message and build up. And I was using that then as a skill for six months with doing these lessons until they got to the point of being able to have a decent conversation with me. And I actually learned how to speak Nepali, which was the main language of the area we were in, Tibetan's more complex than Nepalese. So that's the reason I took that. But if you take that forward into conferences, I see this all the time where there would be somebody speaking at a conference, a leader who's assigned to get up and speak and start the day. And they end up saying, hi, everyone. I'm really excited to be here today. So glad that you're all here. And you think, well, just tell your voice then, tell your face, make sure that people can see and hear and believe that you really mean what you're saying. So often people just shut down their personality when they go in to work with a poker face that sometimes might be required in a negotiation, but they stall that sense of personal human connection. And right now people are just starving for connection. We've been limited by the amount of hours that we can spend with another human being. For, there was a period of time where we couldn't go and hug our family and now we've got people, generally speaking, working virtually, not able to see their team face to face. We're really starving for authentic, human, personal connection with each other. And so congruency is absolutely pivotal to make that happen. I meant to ask your permission to bring this up, but I forgot before we went on today. But in my research of studying you and your accomplishments in your life and all, it came up that you have autism. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Well, what I was also interested in is that a lot of folks who are in higher level positions or in any position, they're introverted and mm. they allow that introversion, which there's nothing right or wrong about being introverted. However, they do allow it sometimes to be a limit for them. And so you didn't allow introversion or autism to be a limit for you, which I think is just fascinating and powerful. Can you touch on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you're welcome to ask. So let's talk about introversion. First of all, I certainly see there's a lot of people who say, oh, well, I, I can't communicate well because I'm an introvert. Right. And then I say to them, look, I mean, I've been in learning and development now for more than two decades. And when I'm taking part in courses or leading them, very often there's personality profiling that happens. I've done all the tests, all the different ones that are out there. I am on that scale from introversion to extroversion. I'm 99% introvert. And often leaders that I'm working with say, but that can't be the case. I mean, you're expressing yourself, you're communicating openly. And I say, look, the definition really between introvert and extrovert is where do you get your energy? 
Do you get your energy by being with others or by being by yourself? And so for me, it takes energy out of me. Spending time with other people requires energy. It requires effort. And then I recoup my energy, spending some time by myself, wearing a hoodie in a quiet room, watching some Netflix, or maybe going for a run or something like that. Whereas extroverts, they gain their energy when they're with others. So I would always say to people, it cannot be used as an excuse. And in fact, I've found that with people that we coach through the years, no matter where they're from, I find that with introverts, they actually learn much faster what it is they can do to transform their communication skills because they're sitting there really listening and taking it in and providing they're willing to put down their armor and go for it, then they can get there very quickly. Whereas for extroverts, they can still get there very much so, but sometimes it just takes a little bit longer to take on board a couple of the strategies that we teach. So introversion, definitely not a limiter. And for me, it was a relatively recent diagnosis of autistic spectrum disorder. And this is one where that's the clinical diagnosis. The generic one that people may have heard of is high functioning autism, which is my situation, which just means you have an IQ above 70 and you have the ability of speech. So it's sort of slightly different to autism some people may be more familiar with but for me first of all when I got the diagnosis it was a bit of a shock and a bit strange but then suddenly it really made sense of everything of all my interactions that I've been having with people where I had been wondering am I seeing the world slightly differently and really I see it in my case as a superpower where I have a different lens on human communication to other people. So to give you a funny term around this, what is this like for me? A lot of relationships get built through banter. And banter, when I watch people having banter, it looks like two people really saying the most awful and offensive things they can think of about each other, then laughing in each other's faces, and somehow that makes their relationship better and not worse. And as you can imagine, when I try it, it just it doesn't have the same impact. And so I thought, okay, I clearly have a different lens on life. And so I was aware of this from being sort of four or five years old. I was already aware that I had a slightly different perspective. But what I did was I used that as a, a way of analyzing what I saw in communication, always looking at scenarios, thinking what's working here, what's not? Why did I fail here? Why did I succeed? Why did that person get a better reaction than the other one? And so I was always analyzing that through my childhood. And then I got very specific with that, researching hundreds of books and building our own scientific research that we published working with University College of London, you mentioned in the introduction there, showing that there are very small things you can do to change in your communication that make a massive difference in how people perceive you. And one that may be interesting for your listeners is that we found that the rating you get for how good a leader you are, you can increase that by 44% just by changing a couple of behaviors in your nonverbal communication style. And that for us was really a transformation. I read that in your published research, and I was curious, what are like one or two small changes that can push you more toward the 44% more influence with people? Yeah, good question. So it was amazing how slight and how small this was and how big the results were. So one key thing that leaders can do in order to improve that impact 
And this is something that we tested with people around the world. We found that it was true in America. It was also true in Europe, across in Asia. We tested it with men and women, people from different ages and backgrounds, people aged 18 up to 65. We're looking at this piece of research. It's very highly regulated and validated piece. One piece that we found is that a lot of leaders, when they're speaking to people, particularly when they're face-to-face, but it does happen virtually as well, is that they tend to be off-center, off-center. Now, what does this mean? A lot of people, when they stand up in front of a group, they might be leaning slightly to one hip, or they might be leaning slightly forwards, slightly backwards. And if you came up to them and you just gave them a quick push on their shoulder, they'd fall over. They're not balanced. They're not grounded. They're not centered. And from a basic survival instinct, human beings know, is the person in front of me strong or not? How grounded is this person? How much gravitas do they have? Which means gravity working effectively on your body. And so we found that if we just changed someone from being in a position where they were off center, And also you get people doing the off-center shuffle, which is where they shift from one foot across to the other foot and then back again. If you move from there to being centered, where you're equally balanced between your left foot, right foot, toes, and heels, and you've got alignment in your posture. So you're lifting from the sternum, which is the center of the chest plate. And then you say the same words, wearing the same clothes, you get a difference of a 44% increase in people thinking, okay, this person is a better leader. Then there's another piece to add in there actually to get the full 44%, which is gestures. Now I know a lot of people that we work with and the more senior that people get, the more this is the case, tend to be quite muted in the way that they express themselves. So they tend to, particularly on virtual calls, they tend to like maybe have their hands under the desk or on the desk. And for people when they're in front of you, they might keep their hands still They might have been told, oh, you gesture too much. You know, you should be more controlled. And therefore, you see them doing very few gestures. And we found that if you do no gestures or if you do low gestures, so gestures that are effectively below your waist, then you get very poor ratings. People think you're not confident, you're not convincing, you're not a good leader. Then if you say the same words and wear the same clothes, but you're doing palms up, and palms down gestures. These gestures are universal. They mean the same thing everywhere around the world. It doesn't matter which culture you go to, palms down is a closed statement where you are sort of moving your hands, palms down towards the ground, as if to say, that's final. This decision has been made. We must finish this by Friday. If you do palms up, it's for an open message, such as welcoming people into a conversation, asking them questions, that sort of thing. And if you use those gestures, gestures in a congruent fashion, palms up for open statements, palms down for closed statements, put that together with centering yourself and you get the 44% increase, which is way beyond what we thought. We thought we might get 4% or 7% would be amazing, but it really blew our minds to see this difference. That's amazing. So again, I got to ask a question about myself, but of course I'm very extroverted. And so when I'm speaking or conducting a seminar or workshop, that energy's got to go somewhere, right? So I walk around a lot. My hands do move. My arms do move. Is that good or bad or indifferent? Or There's two things you really got to think about around movement. Number one, am I being congruent? And I see some leaders who've been told, 
walk around. Or they might have seen you, Tony. They might have thought, wow, Tony's a great speaker. He walks around and he moves his arms a lot. I'll do that. And then it doesn't work. So there's two reasons why it does work is if you're being congruent with your message in some way. So let's say, and this is a big one that leaders get wrong all the time. Let's say that you are saying, look, with a $10,000 investment, we could get a $2 million return. Now, that could be good or that could be bad. It just depends on the business that you're in. Or let's say if I make a $10,000 commitment to here, we'll shift the results by 3%. Let's call it that. Now, in different businesses, $10,000 for some entrepreneurs could be everything. That could be all the money that they're relying on in their cash flow. In other businesses, you know, they're making billions in profit each year. It's really not that much. A 3% shift could be big or it could be small. And what we want to see from the leader is total congruency. If 10,000 isn't a lot, gesture in a way that looks very small. If 3% is huge, gesture really big so that we know this is going to transform the business. And so that congruency needs to be there. You also need to think about how do you want the audience to feel? What feeling am I going for here? So I'm someone that likes to move around and be quite energized, but sometimes I'm dealing with very serious situations. I've helped leadership teams when they've been having to make a group of people redundant, going through major conflict resolution. And in those situations, I know my job here is to be the rock in the storm. That's what I need for them because that's what's going to bring this meeting together. And suddenly I go quite muted in that position. So you've got to think, how do I want them to feel? Be totally congruent towards that. And the extra tip I'll give, which I share with leaders and coach them on, we coach them for conference speeches and so on, is if you want to walk around on a stage, think about the timeline, the timeline. Now, what does this mean? If someone looks at a screen, let's imagine that you're sharing PowerPoint you're sharing a graph and just imagine in your mind's eye for a moment, you've got zero on one side of the screen and you've got a hundred on the other side of the screen. Which side is the zero? Well, the zero is on the left of the screen. A hundred is on the right of the screen. So we know that things move from left to right. That's the timeline that we are expecting. The same goes if you're standing in front of an audience, then they expect as they're looking at you on the left of the room, that is the past. And on the right of the room, that is the future. And when you tell stories, if you move to the audience's left, so that's your right. If you move to your right, when you talk about the past, move to your left, when you're talking about the future, it will feel really charismatic, really congruent, thoroughly taking them on that journey as a storyteller. So yes, it can absolutely work if you use them in the right way. That's fantastic. Well, boy, time flies, but I don't want to end our conversation without ever. I'm sure every business person is screaming at the speakers for me to ask about the $1 billion account and the closing ratio that you helped your client with. Yeah, this was a great project to work on. So this big construction company came to us and they were trying to win big government contracts and they were doing okay before we worked with them. They were winning about one in four and they said, could you help us maybe win one in three? That'd be a big change for us. And so we worked with them. We did two day workshops before every major bid that they went for that year. And in the course of that year, it was, if I get this right, it was either seven or eight of those contracts we helped them win, which was over a billion dollars in the space of a year. They won every single one of those. <laughs> and what we were doing on those two-day workshops was very much about storytelling. It was really focusing on what is the story here and dealing with them as the storyteller and making sure we had a great visual story with the visuals behind it. 
and making sure they were handling questions and objections with that story in mind as well. So it's all about building those pieces in and building them as a great storytelling team. That's fantastic. Well, listen, I've got a list of closing questions I ask every guest that comes on the show. So I'm going to toss these at you. Okay. Right. All right. First question. What's the best memory that immediately comes to mind for you? Oh, wow. I'm going to say the birth of my children. Wonderful. How many children do you have? I've got two, two boys. Oh, Oh, cool. Number one hero in your life. My number one hero has always been my dad. His name? Mike. Mike. Top value you subscribe to? (laughs) Along that line, I believe in being a good father. So for me, everything comes from that. Being a good father means making sure that I am loving towards them. I'm working hard. I'm ethical. I have to be a good husband, a good mentor. All those pieces come in being a good father. Who's the most important person in your life? My wife. And her name? Gemma. All right. What's your favorite thing in the whole world? Oh, my favorite thing, like a physical object. Mm. Uh, I tell you, I haven't got it yet, but I think my favorite thing is going to be my new car. I've just ordered a Tesla. Okay, good. What's your favorite food? My favorite food on the weekend, uh, it's a tough choice. It's between pancakes we have in the morning and Beyond Burgers that we have for lunch. What's the most beautiful place you've ever visited? Oh, I think I'm probably going to say... Venice. Like some people don't think of it that way, but I love the architecture and I love the people. If you could describe success in one word, what would that word be? Success in one word to me would be, I think, authenticity, just meaning you're really true to who you are as a human being. That's success to me. How do you want to be remembered? I'd like to be remembered as a father figure, not just to my family, but also to friends around me, to the company that I lead to the clients that I inspire as a father figure. If you could go back and talk to a young Richard, what advice would you give him? I'd say, just keep going. You're going to get there. Be patient with it. You keep working hard, keep researching. The clients are coming. Just keep going in this direction. Believe in yourself. What's your favorite sound? My children's voices. That's cool. And finally, uh, just based on our talk today, you've learned a ton of lessons in your life. What would you say the best lesson you've learned is? I think the best lesson I've learned is that if you stay, here's the best lesson. No matter what life throws at you, no matter how hard it gets, don't let it change who you are as a person. Stay true to the principles that you believe in, in all situations and keep going. I love it. President, Founder, CEO, Richard Newman of Body Talk. And Richard, how do people find out more about what you do? You can come to ukbodytalk.com, ukbodytalk.com. That's where you find out more about what we do. And you can also connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm Richard Newman at Body Talk. And if you want to find me on Instagram, it's at Richard Newman Speaks. Richard, thank you so much for being my friend. And I really appreciate you taking the time to do this with us today. And I know everybody listening appreciates it also. So maybe you can come back sometime. Yeah, you're very welcome. And I'd love to. All right, Richard Newman, everybody, stand by. I've got more for you on Better Than Before right after this. There's nothing quite like the love of a good dog. 
At University Subaru, it seems to us they're all good. See special pet-friendly features in the new 2021 Subaru Outback and Forester. It's never been easier to hit the open road with your best friend and to keep them safe with Subaru all-wheel drive. Subaru is dog-tested and dog-approved. Love, it's what makes a Subaru a Subaru and a dog a dog. University Subaru, Columbia, homegrown and proud of it. Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards, delivered straight to your inbox. Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. Text the word leadership to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo. Or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. How about Richard Newman today on the show talking about various communication situations, styles, and body talk. Just full of gold for you today. Here's three big ideas from my vault that I want to share with you that probably can help you this week. Big idea number one, habits are the compound interest of self-improvement. Develop the right habits and the changes you want to see become faster and easier regardless of your goals. Big idea number two, force yourself to say no to every request in your mind first. Then evaluate it and then convince yourself with a compelling reason why you should say yes. Most people do this backwards. And big idea number three, the culprits that steal your success are not lack of values or lack of intelligence. They ultimately turn out to be allocations of attention. Where's your focus taking you this week, today, tomorrow, and all week long? That's our show today. Better Than Before is sponsored by University Subaru. University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. Special thanks, as always, to our super producer, Tessa Hall. And until we visit again next week here on Better Than Before, I'm Tony Richards reminding you that everything gets better when you get better. Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.